going to be in John chapter 1, and we're on page 10 of our Bible study this morning as we continue to talk about uh, the deity of Christ. Uh, another word, another phrase for that would be uh, that Jesus is God. And looking through these different uh, verses of Scripture that would uh, communicate that to us. <clears throat> there are also good verses of Scripture if you're trying to share your faith with uh, someone to help them to understand um, some of these concepts about who is God and, and describing what is God like. You can use these verses of Scripture to, to help someone understand the Trinity. More particularly, <clears throat> Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons in helping them to understand that Jesus is God. And that that's, that's something that uh, if you have an open mind to Scripture and or are not coming to Scripture with some preconceived ideas about what you think or what you've been taught, but just coming to Scripture and saying, God, what does your book have to say? Uh, then you come to that conclusion, you know, automatically when you, when you read the Scripture. So we're looking at all these different verses. And so let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> this morning, John starts out his gospel. And have you ever noticed John begins his gospel different than the other gospel writers? The other gospel writers, how do they begin their story? Either with the birth of Christ or the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And John kind of gives a commentary. He begins his gospel with a little bit of a commentary, with, uh, with something that's called an epilogue. And, uh, and so that's where we are in chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> you need to make an announcement, Sharon? Oh, okay. And so in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that all might believe through him." He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. Who is this John that John's talking about here? Yeah, John the Baptist. So this is John the Apostle writing, not referring to himself. John the Apostle is referring to John the Baptist. <clears throat> so we got two Johns you got to keep straight here. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, <clears throat> who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we have this passage really the first 18 verses that really gives us a little bit of a commentary on Jesus, not necessarily any history. No, no, uh, nothing is meant. John doesn't really mention anything about the birth. He goes directly into the ministry of Jesus. But we get some commentary on who Jesus is right here at the very beginning of John's book. And so we're going to start over in verse 1, and there's a number of important things that we need to look at regarding the deity of Christ. It says... What is the, the word that's used here of Jesus? There's one word that's repeated over and over. Word. 
you know. And in the Greek, it's it's the word oracle or logos, all right, which would literally mean word to us. But it was kind of the mouthpiece, or it would be the uh, the communicator. The king had an oracle, or in some cases, he was called the logos, and that was the person that communicated the message. And so basically, this is a, a very unique word here, called word, that is being described Jesus. And it says, in the beginning was the Word. And so what does that tell us about Him? He's always been. He's been there in the beginning. And so, and obviously we know that's a characteristic only of God. Only God has been there forever. God is the only thing that has not been created. He is the Creator. And so it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now look at this. Two different things here. In verse 1, it says that the Word was with God, and it also says that the Word was God. Now, if you were going to describe Jesus as being God, why would you word it the way it's worded in the second part of verse 1? Why would you say He was with God and He was God? That's a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah. Referring to the Trinity. You know, when, when it, the last part of verse 1, it says... The Word was God. That's pretty crystal clear, right? So we can we we know from that that Jesus was God. You know, and and we can say, look, that proves it right there. It's it's very clearly that the, whoever this Word is in John chapter one, this Word is God. And of course, we can look down later on in verse fourteen. It says the Word became flesh. Now I know why you left. It was Scott? Did Sharon tell you that the the cookies are ready? Is that why you left? You came back with one, so right they're right back there. Okay, you didn't bring us any. <laughs> I just had to. I had to. I just noticed that. I had to point that out. So the word is definitely God, but it also says that the word was with God. And so there's a there's a aspect of this that Jesus is not only God, but there's also this relationship, being with someone. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are with one another. So it's it is a trinity, and they're with one another. There's this relationship uh, that, that they have within the Godhead that's going on. It says that he was in the beginning with God. So there we're, we're given this again. We're told once again that the Word was in the beginning. Why do you think, why, why repeat it? It said that in verse 1. Why repeat it in verse 2? A lot of times the Scripture repeats things, right? And we've talked in here, how many times have we talked about and I've asked the question, how many times do you repeat things to your kids or your grandkids? Why do we typically do that? Emphasize? Or because they haven't heard, they did not hear us the first time or the second time. They heard, they heard it, the, the sound waves entered the ears, right? Or how about this? Let's see. Yeah, and out the other side, how about with your spouse? You know, that whole thing of, is he really listening to me? Is she really listening to me? She heard what I said, but she didn't. She didn't really hear with her heart. And so a lot, of a lot of times, if you'll notice in Scripture, it repeats things to make a point, to, to emphasize something, but to make sure that we're paying attention because a lot of times we aren't paying attention. And so this is being emphasized that Jesus is the Creator. And, you know, guys, I, I give you an example. This is so important. I know for so many of us, we sometimes you may look at this passage and you, and you may say, can't tell you how many times I've looked at John chapter 1, and I know this stuff, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone through this. But this past week, God reminded me of how important 
some of these basic things are to us. Uh, you know, we uh, every week we ask for prayer requests. We ask people, please, if you have a prayer request, to write it down. And uh, every week, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Bonnie collects all these things. Uh, and you ought to, next time you see Bonnie, you ought to just thank her for this. Bonnie collects these. She takes them home with her. She enters them into a confidential website that only me and Randy and a few other people have access to because some of the prayer requests that we get are confidential and are, they, they don't want them to be shared with the congregation. She puts them on a website and then this website automatically emails them to Randy, me and Randy. And so uh, I got a prayer request from a guy last uh, that he had filled out last Sunday and so I called him. And because he said that he had a few questions. Well, he didn't have a few questions. <laughs> he had a ton of questions. And I said, well, look, why don't, why don't you write your questions down on a piece of paper? And uh, or actually, this was Wednesday before last. So we, this was the Sunday previous. And so he, he showed up here Wednesday before last, right during Wednesday night dinner. And I said, man, we'll come over to my office and we'll hang out as long as you need to. And well, he brought in a piece of notebook paper, and it, it was one page. It was covered up with questions. And we were in my office to almost midnight, Wednesday night, just going through questions and things as basic as when I mentioned that God had never been created. He said, well, wait a minute. What do you mean God had never been created? And I said, well, God is the creator, right? Yeah. Do you believe that God created everything? Yeah. Well, then... And then he, you know, I could tell those wheels were turning. You know, he's really starting to think. And he said, well, didn't God have to be created? And I said, well, the Bible says that God is the only thing that was not created. He has existed forever. And then, and then it clicked with him. He said, yeah, you're right. That's right. So if God has always existed, then he wasn't created. I said, you got it. He said, that, that makes sense. That's, that is what the Bible says. But, but something as simple as fundamental and basic for a lot of us he was learning that for the first time. He really was coming to grips with that for the first time. And so, y'all, you never know <clears throat> when God is going to ask you to be that Bible answer man or that Bible answer woman where you're going to have, where God's going to want you to give those answers. And, and they, they don't have to be complicated answers. They can be very simple. For, for Sometimes for us, the, the simple answers for us are like those golden answers that people are looking for, you know. And you, you may be thinking, well, I really didn't say a whole lot. I didn't really say much, but what you said was what that person needed. So keep, keep that in mind. There's a lot of folks, and I'm not, and, and not necessarily outside the church. There's a lot of us inside the church that need those basic questions answered. And John gives them to us right here. Let's keep reading a little bit further. So am I right? Would this be a passage that does communicate that Jesus is God? Is it pretty crystal clear? Now, if you have a Jehovah's Witness friend, uh, when they open up their New World, I call it the New World Mistranslation. They call it the New World Translation. When they open up their Bible, does anybody know what it said, what their, how their Bible reads in chapter 1, verse 1? Huh? It, it probably would, you know. You know. If one of you were to say, well, here, I've got a copy of that right here. Let me just open it up. We might have to have a conversation. We'll buy you a Bible today. I don't know if Lifeway's open. Chick-fil-A's not. That's a mean trick. The fact that Chick-fil-A's not open on Sunday. That's just a mean trick. 
How many times have you been on a trip or something? Let's go to Chick-fil-A. Oh, man, it's closed. That just, that's, that's wrong. The New World Translation says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's what it says. If you have a buddy that's a Jehovah's Witness, and you ask her or him to read that verse, that's what it says in their translation. What's wrong with that? Didn't that bring some confusion into the Bible? Big time. You go, hey, God. Kind of scratch your head a little bit. Now, wait a minute. What gives you all the right to translate that? Make, hey, one little bitty letter makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Totally changes the meaning of the text. And it's wrong. It's never been translated that throughout the eons of time. The New Testament It's the only translation. And it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Uh, you know what the difference between a paraphrase and a translation is? Good time to bring that up. How many of you, when you were growing up, <clears throat> did you or your parents have a living Bible? Ever had one? It's a thick Bible, had a real pretty green cover on it. it it's great. It's nothing wrong with it. it it's a paraphrase. And uh, like the message, who has a copy of the message? All right. Um, there's a couple other paraphrases out there. I'm trying to think what their names are. What their names are. But anyway, the Living Bible. To give you an example, you don't really see those around much anymore. But the guy that wrote that wrote that actually for his children. Because you give a a nine year old or an eight year old a New American Standard or something like that, they may struggle with it. Okay, they need something a little bit more simpler on their level. And so he wrote the Living Bible for his kids. Great idea. And it, it, a lot of people really enjoyed it. But it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. He just kind of put it in his own words to where younger kids could understand it better. Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, a translation is probably what you have in your hands right now. You, how many of you have an NIV or a New King James or a King James or a, uh, what do you have, Scott? A King James. All right. Wendy, what do you have? The Holman Study Bible, which is, I've got to get a copy of that. That's an excellent, fairly new translation, and it's, it's very good. And so translations have been, trans, if you have a translation, you have something that has been translated directly from the Hebrew and Greek, which is what makes a genuine translation. So anyway, the Jehovah's Witnesses confused. They, you know, the, the passage in Revelation where it says, do not take away or add anything to the words of these books. To, to the words of, of these books, there's a warning in Revelation, or what will happen to you? These plagues will be added to you. Judgment will come upon you. Well, that's what they've done. They have added, they have perverted the Word of God, and they've taken a perfect book, and they've messed it up. And now it has a perverted meaning to it. All of a sudden, Jesus is no longer God. He is another God. And so... Jehovah's Witnesses are polytheistic. They believe in more than one God. Now they would say, no, we don't, but they do. They believe in one big God and one little God. And so that is uh, more than one God. But anyway, let's keep reading. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, all things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, uh, in summary, what is, what, what is John saying there? He created everything. Well, didn't he already say that? Kind of, but again, he's repeating himself. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And you think about this two aspects of, of our Lord that we thought we were really living until we became Christians. And that's when God made our He changed our life. 
He, he changed our life. He changed the course of, of, of our direction of our life. And in, in, in later on in John, it says that Jesus came that we might have life and might have it abundantly. You know, And so that is real important. Look at verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then he goes into talking about John the Baptist. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. And I want to do this. I want you to skip down to verse 14 because we get back to talking about the Word. And that's how John starts this passage talking about the Word. Very interesting thing right here. In verse 14 it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Anybody have a different translation there besides dwelt among us? Lived for a while among us? What does the Holman say, Wendy? Took up residence. I love that. It's great. Took up residence. Dwelt among us. You remember when we were looking at John chapter 14, 15, and 16 a couple of weeks ago? And remember how Jesus kept repeating the phrase abiding and dwelling? And remember he said, I will send another helper for you, and he will be with you, and he will abide with you forever. And, and then later on in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I want you to abide in me. Make your residency with me. And we talked about the whole aspect of when we feel at home. When li Life is at its best when we feel at home. And really what makes us feel at home is not necessarily being in our house, but when we're with the people we love the most. You know, Regardless of where I am, if I've got Kim by my side, I'm going to feel comfortable. I'm going to feel at home. And, and, and plus not only that, the rest of my family. And that's what this is talking about here is a relationship. And it says in verse 14, you know, all, you know we, we've, we've heard all these things about the Word. But in verse 14 it says the Word became flesh. Whoa, let's stop there for a minute. God, Almighty God, who was creator of the universe. And remember a couple of weeks ago when we were studying about the nature of God, God by nature, what is He made of? God's eternal nature, is He physical? No, he's a spirit, right? But 2,000 years ago, in verse 14, it says the Word became flesh. Now, that's physical right there, isn't it? That is physical. I mean, every time I see this word flesh, in this context, it's talking about physical. Now, a lot of times in the New Testament, when Paul refers to the phrase being in the flesh, what's he talking about? He's not talking about necessarily the physical. He's talking about our sinful nature. Sometimes the New Testament uses, when it's referring to our sinful nature, the fact that we sin, it's, it's taught, it uses this word, the flesh. My flesh got, you know, uh, tempted me. But here it's talking about that God in spirit form literally took on a body of flesh, is what that's talking about, and dwelt among us. Literally means he, he lived with us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, uh, Dave, we're in John chapter 1. Happy Thanksgiving. Verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now, now, now kind of interesting thing here. Let me mention this. I love this. John the Baptist says of Jesus, he who comes after me has a higher rank than me because he existed before me. You remember the story, the Christmas story, of Jesus' birth. Je uh, Jesus uh, was begotten and uh, Mary gave birth to Jesus. Who was John the Baptist's mom? 
You remember her name? Elizabeth. Mary wins the, the Christmas trivia question of the day. Elizabeth. How was Mary and Elizabeth related to one another? You remember that? Christmas trivia question number two. For the grand prize. Aunt. Elizabeth was Mary's aunt. And who was born first? John the Baptist or Jesus? John the Baptist was. Elizabeth was about six months ahead of Mary in her pregnancy. If you go back and you read about that uh, as soon as Mary finds out that she's pregnant and she gets this visit from this angel and there's all these emotions probably swelling up inside of her and she goes to Elizabeth and it says Elizabeth was already six months pregnant. So you do the arithmetic and more than likely, probably, you know, somewhere around John the Baptist was born, somewhere around six months before Jesus would have. All right? So who showed up, who was born first? John the Baptist. But what does he say here? He existed before me. Well, if you look at this from purely a human standpoint, you'd say, what are you talking about? You were born first. You're six months ahead of your cousin, Jesus. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Jesus has existed forever. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about our physical birth. Who cares about our physical birth? Yeah, we're both men, but Jesus is God. He is a higher ranking than me is what he's trying to get across to us as readers. And then look at verse 16. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Look at verse 18. This is really cool. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God. Who is the only begotten God? Jesus, a direct reference to Christ right there, who is in the bosom of the Father, has explained him. So it's, all, it's, it's just like this, that how could we understand fully who God was? God is invisible. He's spirit. We can't see him. We can't completely understand him because we're human, we're weak, we're, we're pea-brained. Okay? God is infinite in his understanding. We are, we're nothing. God is almighty in his power. We are weak. And so what did God do to explain himself to where we could really understand God? God said, I'll just become a man. And I'll walk in the trenches with you. I'll sweat just like the rest of you. I'll get hungry just like the rest of you. I'll work. Jesus was a carpenter. Learn from Joseph. He took up a trade just like us. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels when Jesus wanted to go from Judea to Galilee, he didn't go, bing, beam me up Scotty and directly there. He walked just like the rest of us, you know, to where we could see who he was. You know, people lived with him and to where they could understand, you know, who he was. John in his, in 1 John, John, and let's just do this. Turn over to, turn over to the book of 1 John. Right before you get to Revelation. John kind of, John starts this letter kind of similar that he starts his gospel. 1 John chapter 1, he says, What was from the beginning? Sounds a little similar to the gospel of John. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. Who's he talking about? Talking about the Lord, but look how he describes. He's saying, look, this is how we experienced him, what we heard. Man, they heard Jesus. Everywhere they went, they listened to him. And he's basically saying, look, we heard a lot 
we learned a lot from the Lord because he was, undoubtedly, Jesus was talking the whole time. <laughs> we know that's true. He was constantly teaching these people. And so John's recollection of Jesus, first of all, is what we heard. We heard a lot. It changed our lives. And look what else he says. What we have seen with our eyes. What were some of the things as they would think about Jesus? After Jesus had ascended, and then they began their ministry, and as they remembered their memories of the Lord, what would they remember through what they had seen? Miracles. What do you think? What of the things that you've seen in Scripture, the things that Jesus did, if you would have been there, what, what event or events do you think would have touched you the most? Man, if I would have seen Jesus uh, feed the 5,000, man, that would have been it for me. What would, it be, what would it have been for you? If you could have shown up, at, if you could go back in time to see and experience any event in the Gospels, what would it be? Wow. That would have been powerful. Lazarus, yeah. Yeah, how can you top that to be there on that day? You know, I think about some of the simple things. You know, uh, I think about uh, that blind man that was in the temple that uh, uh, Jesus leaves the temple and they're trying to stone him. And Jesus notices this blind man and he, he stops to heal this blind man. And this poor guy it gets healed. He becomes a believer. And then he gets brought before the Sanhedrin and they just ostracize him. They persecute him. And it says that Jesus comes back and finds him to encourage him. And just how Jesus, as busy as he was, slowed down to, to take care of people that we probably would have ignored. You know, To me, that's just really cool because we, sometimes we get really busy and we do ignore a lot of people. And, but John saw that and he says, what we have seen with our eyes that prove that. And look what else it says. What we beheld with our hands handled. What do you think that's talking about? What our hands handled concerning the word of truth. The handshakes, the hugs, the high fives, the, the embraces. The, uh, I would think that they probably would remember that, that. That, hey, this was a physical man. He was real. Uh, you know, the things that he did. But not only that, but, but we touched him after he resurrected from the dead. Tom, I mean, Thomas did in a, in a very unique way. But I'm sure they all did, you know. And John here is saying, we touched him. He was real. He was physical. It's not some fairy tale. We didn't see a ghost, you know, on several occasions. He ate fish. Remember the, remember the, the scene on the beach where Jesus says, do you have anything here to eat? And he didn't do that because he was hungry. He did it to prove that he was physical. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks, the, the resurrection of Christ. Real important. Now turn back to turn back to the book of John. We'll look at a couple other verses. Do this. Turn to John chapter 18. And you, I, I know you're going to remember this scene. This is the scene where Jesus gets brought before Pilate, Pontius Pilate. And Pilate is asking him some of these just riveting questions. And uh, look at verse 33 of John chapter 18. Pilate therefore entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus. So this is after his arrest. He gets taken before the Sanhedrin. He's being taken before uh, uh, Herod Agrippa and now before Pilate. And he's about to be uh, 
He's about to be crucified here before too long. And, and Pilate said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you up to me. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, truth, hear, hears my voice. You know, Jesus referring to this kingdom. And, and interesting study when you look at kingdom in the New Testament and in the Old Testament and see how it all relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to turn to the book of Daniel and we're going to see some examples of Jesus' kingdom and how it's referred to God's kingdom. So turn back in the Old Testament and see if you can find the book of Daniel. Anybody cold? Some of you look like you're a little bit cold. Okay, we're going to be in the book of Daniel. And hey, anybody want to take a stab at when Daniel was written? How long ago was this book written? In the uh, 500s BC. How about that? So you could say roughly 2,500 years ago, about, was when the book of Daniel was written. At least 500 years before. Uh, Jesus was born physically as a man is during the lifetime and ministry of Daniel. And uh, Daniel has a lot of visions. God gives him a lot of visions about the future. He gives him a lot of prophecy about the future. And all these deal with kingdoms. And so we won't get into this a whole lot this morning. But Daniel was given four king uh, really five kingdoms. Uh, Daniel was living during the lifetime of the Babylonian kingdom. was kingdom number one. And that took place during his lifetime. There's a second kingdom that comes along that Daniel lives during a portion of that. And it's the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, which was the second major kingdom. It's the kingdom that replaced Babylon. And then the one after that is the Greek Empire that replaced the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel is given a prophecy about that. That was also replaced by the Roman Empire, which is the fourth kingdom of Daniel. And then there's a fifth kingdom that's talked about, and it's referred to as the last kingdom on the earth, and that is the kingdom of God. And so all throughout Daniel, in, in the big picture of Daniel, what's mentioned a whole lot is this fifth kingdom, which is God's kingdom. And so we're going to look at that, and you're going to see some references uh, in Daniel to God's kingdom and how it's going to relate to the Messiah that we know is Jesus. So let's look in Daniel chapter 2, and look in verse, we'll start out, we'll look in verse 44. Of Daniel chapter 2. It says, In those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. You may want to underline that. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Now remember, Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. Kind of interesting. All right, now let's do this. Turn to Daniel chapter 4, and let's look at verse 3. 
How great are his signs, now this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking here, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Kind of repeating the same thing, isn't it? More the same, but being repeated so it's being emphasized for us to remember, talking about God's final kingdom. All right, let's keep reading. Move on to verse 34 of chapter 4. This is Nebuchadnezzar once again. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What hast thou done? Again, that same kingdom. All right? We're not done. Look at chapter 6, verse 26. And this is right after Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. And this is Darius, who is a Median king over the Medo-Persian Empire. And so we read about right here in verse 26, I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Same thing, isn't it not? Talking about the same final kingdom of God that will last forever and ever. So you think just about when you think that Daniel's done talking about this. No, he's not. Look over to Daniel chapter 7. Verse 13, and pretty interesting right here because in verse 13 it says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Wow, who is this? This is the Messiah, which we know is Jesus. A direct reference right here to the Messiah, son of man only referred to the coming Messiah. So we know this is Jesus, and look what it's going to say here. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given a dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Whose dominion? The Son of Man's dominion. Who is God? Who is a ruler of the heaven and the earth? His kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. All right? Look over to verse 27. We're just about done. Just a couple, this, this last verse right here. And once again, it's repeated. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Hey, who is going to rule for all eternity? God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And very specifically here, we're talk, it, it says that the Son of Man is going to be given dominion. In His throne, He will reign forever and ever. We see that over in John chapter 18, when Jesus refers to His kingdom, when He's talking to Pilate. My kingdom is not this, of this world. We go back to Daniel. We can say, look, this has been prophesied all along that God's kingdom will last forever and the Son of Man is ruler of that kingdom. So, it, it, is it not so crystal clear that Jesus is God. So many verses of Scripture. So we will look next week 
Next week we will we'll begin talking about, we'll look at John chapter 20. We'll get into uh, a little bit about the resurrection and a few more verses about uh, the deity of Christ. And then we're going to roll into uh, the humanity of Christ, why it's also so important that we understand that Jesus was also man as well. And so we've got probably uh, two or three more weeks, and we're going to be ready to change gears and to start a new study. So, All right, everybody's still eating Thanksgiving leftovers? Still have a half a hand to eat. Yeah, we do too. Well, let's pray together, and uh, we'll continue our worship. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for your words. And Lord, I don't think you have a single word to say that's not powerful. God, your word is just powerful. And it, it just, Lord, you know how to speak to us. You know how to communicate towards our needs. You know how to communicate towards our fears and to, to uh, remind us of who we are, that we're weak, that we need you. And so, God, we thank you for that. And Lord, we just looked at all these passages that remind us of how powerful you are, how strong you are in your kingdom. and But Lord, not only that, but Lord, you love it, loved us so much that you came down to earth to live like us and to, to really show us in the nitty-gritty what, it's, what God is like to, uh, to reveal yourself to us. And so Lord, we see a glimpse of that in your word, Lord, and we just await the time where we're, we're able to see you face-to-face and to dwell with you in a very real sense. And so, God, help us just as we walk through life, Lord, just to to continue to follow you and to stay close to you. And, Lord, thank you for this time and your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great week. See you back next week.